0: This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in scenic downtown Benson. Check out their new location. It's gorgeous. And by listeners like you. You can click on Donate on TwoHeadedNerd.com or head to Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd and become a monthly supporter.
1: Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Oh, show time.
0: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 728 of the Two-Headed Nerd Count book podcast. Whose pleasure is it? Well, I am your head number one, and my name is Matt Bob.
1: And I'm your uh, head number two, the Internet's Joe Patrick. So I guess that means... It is also your uh, like pleasure. Like you said, it is our pleasure. Our meaning more than one. It's time for another exciting new comic show where we'll review a pile of new comics from the last two New Comic Wednesdays. And after that, we'll set you up with our must-read new comic picks for next week. And
0: finally, we're going to give you a sampling of our Patreon Extra, where this time we're rating some of your hot takes. Hot takes. From our Discord Hot Takes channel, if only our guest appearance by Taylor Swift hadn't fallen through as part of our desperate attempt to get our ratings up. But that's all in the past. Now she's made an enemy even more powerful than this conspiratorial ultra right wing. An enemy with two heads is coming for your god, Swifties, right after review time in the cigarette.
1: To be clear, we are the enemy more powerful than the conspiratorial ultra wing. Yeah, I think right they figured we're wing, that out. not part of. Yeah, no, no, no. We're an enemy the enemy with two heads.
0: Conspiratorial ultra Yeah, yeah, yeah. As always, review time starts with six comics from last week, then we tackle six from this week. Each one will be judged with our three-point rating scale of buy it, skim it, or leave it, and we've heard your criticisms, but trust us, moving to a ten-point rating system will involve more math than either of us is capable of.
1: Speak for yourself, dummy. In this episode's false pounding pile, Darkwing Duck has a posse. Uni, the worthless unicorn returns. The Titans beat up some animals. Music and... It's true. it's true. Music and fashion mogul Kid Cudi quits his jobs to write comics and more. But it all starts with Jeff Johns and the Funky Bunch's new universe of heroes at Image. Fill it, fill it!
0: New comics from Wednesday, January 24th. We begin with Ghost Machine, number one from Image. It's 64 pages for $4.99. It took a long time to read. It really did. It's written by Jeff Johns, Peter Tomasi, and Lamont McGee with cover by Gary Frank, art by Gary Frank, Francis Menopal, Brian Hitch, Jason Fabok, and Ivan Rice. To be fair, everyone is listed as a creator, which I think is kind of nice. They're yeah, just like, they're yeah. all in and they're all equals. We're all doing and it when together.
1: I it, when I say it took a long time to read, I mean it in kind of a good way and we'll get to that.
0: Yeah, it's chunky. Here's your solicit. A groundbreaking new era for comics, characters, and creators begins here. From the powerhouse creative collective that is Ghost Machine comes an exercise 48 page special introducing its all new shared universes of strange, fun, and action-packed characters. Geiger, Redcoat, Rook, the Rocketfellers, and many, many more. What ties Geiger, Redcoat, Widow X, who I don't think appeared here, and the other mysterious historical heroes of the unnamed together? I I don't think so. I don't think so. Why is Rook the key to saving the war-torn world of Exodus? How will everyone's soon-to-be favorite family of the future adapt to a new life in the present? The stories all start now! Creators you know, characters you'll love, this is Ghost Machine, Written and illustrated by Jason Fabok, Gary Frank, Brian Hitch, Jeff Johns, Lamont McGee, Francis Manipole, Brad Meltzer, Ivan Rice, Peter Tomasi, Maytal Zschultz, sorry Maytal, and more!
1: Sorry Maytal.
0: If you've been wondering what Johns has been up to for the last few years, well, wonder no more! This Ghost Machine special is really a primer for all the new titles joining Johns' connected universe, but it doesn't all seem connected. (laughs) Geiger and Junkyard Joe have had previous books where the idea of the unnamed and the unknown war was introduced. We meet Redcoat here, an immortal British soldier drawn by Brian Hitch, who will also be involved. Rook is a sci-fi story that takes place on a corporate-controlled planet where characters with animal-themed helmets control animals. With art by Jason Fabok, it does not seem connected at all. If the adult theme stuff isn't for you, there's a Ghost Machine family universe, too, with characters like the Rockefellers, who seem like a time-displaced kind of FF by Tomasi and Manipal. Then there's the cloyingly cute story of a devil girl and an angel boy growing up in a normal neighborhood. I really liked that one. It was fine. Competing with each other by Tomasi and Snedgeberg. From there, the anthology seems to snap back to horror... (laughs) With John's and Rice's Hyde Street, which seems like the Twilight Zone meets Stephen King's Needful Things, I think.
1: Yeah, kinda.
0: Right? Some of the ideas seem fun here. The art on all the projects is simply stunning. I really enjoyed the previous Junkyard Joe mini. I couldn't really get into the previous Geiger. That's not to say it won't give any of these another chance. Now that the world's expanding... Ghost Machine seems like a group of creators trying to flesh out their own IPs, and they're all very talented, but I guess we'll see how soon some of them get pulled back to the big two. <laughs> I'm going to give this a skim it for now, not because it's bad, but it's really like, this is just a primer. It's almost like like a free comic book day edition that you paid for that gives you a little taste of everything.
1: Yeah, but all the stories are complete. I for guess, the most
0: part. yeah, but it wouldn't surprise me if... All these stories also make another appearance somewhere else or they're part of stories. Well, maybe
1: like in the first trade for that particular series. Or like we'll continue fine.
0: when we see like the next Geiger number one or something like that. I don't know.
1: So I'm giving, I'm actually giving this a buy it because I was very pleasantly surprised. You know, our, our standard caveat with anthologies is that some of the stories are great and, uh, you know, some aren't. But I actually really enjoyed this all the way through. Like, uh, there are some things that I I would probably tend to gravitate towards a little bit more. Like, I'm more into you're a Rockefeller's um, man. is what you're saying. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, sure. Like, I'm like, for example, like I'm more into the Hyde Street idea uh, than I am the uh, the Rook idea. Like the Mad Max Planet with animal guys. I like. Yeah, I, I don't didn't- like. It's interesting. Like, I'll, like, I'll read it. Like, I'll give me, I'll give them a chance to sell me on it, but it's just my own personal taste, you know? Sure. Um, but I thought the work here was all really well done. Uh, is it must read? Probably not, but I do think it's a very good introduction for what I think is a pretty exciting move for this group of very, very popular creators. And I, I'm excited for them. I'm excited for them. I'm excited to see uh, what they do. Um, yeah, and I'll admit it. Like, the Rockefellers thing, like, the all-ages stuff was cute without being, like, like, there was still some dark stuff in there. Like, they just weren't, like, grim and gritty. But they they weren't all also, like, cartoonishly all-ages. Like, uh, and I did like the whole, like, nature versus nurture take on the... Um, the Devil what Angel. What was the name thing.
0: of that one? I can't, I can't
1: remember. What yeah, it was the called. the kid, the kids that are a devil and an angel. Yeah. Um, I forget the name of that that title. I apologize, but uh, but the Peter Snejbjerg one. I I'm a huge Peter Snejbjerg fan. I I've missed Pete Tomasi. I'm glad to see that these names that we have loved for so long have actually been working on something fairly major, and I'm very excited to see how it develops. I'm giving this a buy it because I think for five bucks. Sixty-four pages. You get a lot in here, plus like handbook pages that like give you primers on the characters. Yeah, like, I thought it was a great. I thought it was a great little one shot. It's loaded up with
0: everything you need to know. Hornsby and Halo is the name of your Hornsby angel and Halo. Yeah, book. I mean,
1: yeah, I get it. It's cute, man. But cute. <laughs> I mean, the the one with the immortal British guy is called Redcoat. Uh, ha ha ha! Like everything's cute. Sure. Like everything's got a cute name. Sure. It's just not all.
0: I mean, but like Redcoat is also thing.
1: like that's like a, that would be a superhero name for that guy. Sure. Okay,
0: whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this was a buy it. I really liked it. The art's gorgeous. Front to back. Front to back. That Hyde Street one, I think, is going to be the one to watch, though. That one was very interesting. That looks wild. Hey, yo, what's up? This is me, Mocky Mock, my man HB, and you're chilling on Team Vit. Fresh from his small screen debut in Superman and Lois on a a Pia is back, baby. It's Green Arrow number eight. From DC, it's written by Joshua Williamson, with pencils by Phil Hester, inks by Eric Gapster, colors by Romulo Fiardo Jr., letters by Troy Pateri. The cover is credited to Sean Isaacs and Romulo Fiardo Jr., but that is wrong! It's clearly by Phil Hester, and I checked with Phil today. The colors are by David Barron, and it's gorgeous. Oh my God, you should see this cover. There's no question it's Phil Hester. I mean, yeah. Well, I know. It's just a, it's a like Sean Isaacs has done all the other covers. It's just a typo. Right. It's thirty-two pages for three ninety-nine. Here's your solicit. Green Arrow hits the streets of Star City in search of a lost family member and runs into onomatopoeia. After months of time travel and space adventures, Oliver welcomes the more grounded adventures until <laughs> Bang, 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 bang. Technically there was five bangs, but yeah, we'll get to that. There's plenty of bangs. You got you banged it. Yeah, I banged it. I binged it and bonged it. Uh, Fun fact, in Superman and Lois, Onomatopoeia was a woman. But in the comics, Onomatopoeia is
0: all man. Oh, you're saying that Onomatopoeia showed up on the CW show?
1: They made Onomatopoeia a villain. Sort of. Yes. Okay,
0: I didn't get that joke at all. And nobody watched the show, so you might want to do that one again. Lots of people watch (laughs) Superman and Lois. You shut your mouth.
1: (laughs) After six issues bounding around the time stream with a quick one-issue breather to reconnect with his pals... Oliver Queen is back in Star City. It's too bad he's lying dead on a morgue slab after having Onomatopoeia put five slugs in his chest. Bang, 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 bang. I banged it. Naturally, Ollie is alive and well, but the joy is in seeing his charade play out with his son Connor Hawk at his side. We get a quick tease of Amanda Waller's sinister plot, but otherwise this is just a fun, done-in-one romp with fantastic art by Onomatopoeia's co-creator, And one of THN's all-time faves, Phil Hester. If you're not reading Green Arrow, you're missing out on some great comics and a true revival of what made Ollie, Connor, and the rest of the Arrow family some of our favorite DC characters, given this one to buy it.
0: Yeah, Green Arrow's been great. It's on a tear right now. We we both love Phil Hester. Crap about Onomatopoeia. I think the powers are stupid. But he doesn't even have any powers. He just yells. He's just crazy. Well, yeah, no, but he can do things no, like break your leg by saying crack and stuff no, like that. No, he cannot. That's what happened Andrew. in the Kevin
1: Smith run?
0: No, he's just a dude. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I he's misunderstood originally. He's just a very originally.
1: competent assassin Fair with, enough. with uh, like a mania for sound effects. I do. I have loved this series so far.
0: love that Connor's around because I love that character so much. This book is fantastic. It the kid looks needs great, a haircut, but yeah. Absolutely check out Green Arrow if you've been, like, missing that Oliver Queen that we used to recognize that went away for a very long time. <laughs> He's back, and it's not dated, and they're not playing to anything that you needed to know from the 70s, 80s, or 90s, or even early 2000s when we loved him. Green Arrow's great. You can him a bite.
1: Can't tell which of us is evil.
0: I know. We've both got beards. The Saturday Morning Adventures continue at IDW, apparently because we demanded them. So next up is Dungeons & Dragons Saturday Morning Adventures, number one from IDW. It's 32 pages. It's 3 dollars It's written by David M. Boer, with cover and art by George Cambadias. colors by John Paul Bove, or Bove, I don't know. Letters by Ed Dukeshire, here is your solicit. I'm saying if that dude hyphenates a first name like John Paul, his last name is Bove. Maybe, yeah, that could be. Well, or... You know, they named him after the Pope. One of the two. Let me start. (laughs) Sure, I guess. Here's your solicit. Some time has passed since the team's adventure in Waterdeep. Now Dungeon Master is growing weaker with an unknown ailment. And while thoughts of... It's long COVID. I'll bet you anything. And while thoughts of returning home are never (laughs) far from their minds, the team must save their mentor and friend. Sailing between, I think he
1: was injecting ivermectin. Uh, he
0: might have been. I heard he was that type of dude. Sailing between planes and their spell jammer, the party finds themselves on the swashbuckling sword coast with Venger closing in and pirates blocking the way forward. Can our heroes cure Dungeon Master before it's too late? Eisner-nominated writer David M. Boer and George Cambodias are back to kick off a massive plane-hopping quest featuring brand new locations and some very familiar faces never seen in cartoon form. Pay attention to that line. Accurate. That's accurate. If you're an aging gray-haired nerd like myself, you no doubt remember the 1980s D&D cartoon. And maybe, also like me, you later started playing D&D and realized the cartoon had almost nothing to do with the actual RPG, other than borrowing a few monsters' names. So, I came into this thinking it's going to be the further adventures of the six kids and the adorable I'm putting adorable in quotes, unicorn in the classic eighties animated style. But instead we kind of get this updated sort of manga inspired animated look for a comic that puts the group firmly into actual D and D lore while still trying to capture some of the humor of the cartoon putting humor in quotes as well. None of it worked for me. And it (laughs) left me wondering if this isn't for people who remember the cartoon and it's not for hardcore DD fans. Who is this for? <laughs> there was some confusing art when the little barbarian appeared to fall off a cliff, but didn't, and is standing next to <gasps> Drizzt. <laughs> Drizzt. I don't know. I don't know. Say his name. Drizzt. a name That some hardcore players are going to recognize, but certainly not a character that would have popped up on the cartoon. The whole thing comes off as, what if the kids from the D&D cartoon were actually in the D&D RPG world? And the answer is, they would die, quickly, and badly. Only two of the kids in the party have offensive weapons, and one of them is 10 years old, okay? I'm getting to skim it, not, because it's not like a total failure of a comic book by any means. It's cute, I suppose. I didn't love the
1: art. I just don't understand what we're doing here. Point of order, sir. There are multiple characters in the party with offensive weapons. The Cavalier has a sword. The Ranger's got a bow. The Cavalier only the has, has a shield. a club.
0: Cavaliers the Cavalier's only the got a shield. The has a staff. <laughs> the
1: Cavalier... Oh, you're right. He only had a he shield. He only has
0: a shield. Then we got a bow and a staff. Yeah. A staff. A, yeah. And a club. Staff. Bow, staff, club.
1: A there A staff, you go. a bow, and a club. That's... Yeah. yeah. Three. But <laughs> It's fine. And then you've got a mage. Who can't do anything, Joe? He's well, terrible well, he's like, at his job. I'm not job. saying it's a good D&D. He's for like, you. oh, I'll saying, pull out a cannon it's, and it's a watermelon. It's you It's know, more balanced <laughs> than you're giving them credit for. It's all I'm saying. Um, okay, uh, I'm giving this a skim as well, just to get that out of the way. I'm not as down on it as you are, but I agree that like it's it's really only going to be for people that loved the cartoon a lot. But I don't, um, think, or that don't or think that it, really loved the last. I don't um, think it pushes out buttons for the cart people that love the cartoon a lot. You know. That's my problem. It didn't I mean, feel I mean, I guess like I don't know co- what you're what you were looking for that wasn't here. All the characters acted exactly as I remembered them.
0: It didn't feel like the cartoon. They're in a totally different like full-on D&D type realm. Yeah, I stuff, understand, you know?
1: but this also isn't the first story and it makes sense to me that if you're going to tell extended adventures with characters that have been off the air for f- 30 years, you're probably going to fold them into like actual um, recognizable D and D locales, which I'm totally fine with. It, it did feel like the cartoon to me. Uh, I do have a lot of questions, though. Oh, I also don't agree that the art is manga inspired. Okay,
0: will you um, will you buy webtoon inspired? Maybe
1: it's. Uh, I mean, webtoon is not an uh, is not an but adjective you or a catch all. But, but you I know where saying. you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's it is very cartoony, and there are some storytelling problems as far as like they show. Friggin' what's his face falling down the pit with the snowman. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, he's just the, just the shadow not- of, of the kid is in the pit. And then all of a sudden, nope, he's standing in there with just, uh, okay, well, all right. But my question has more to do with the logistics of this world. Do these children not age? I mean, apparently not. I don't know. I, because I- it says, and I quote more than once in this comic book, That several years have passed. I think if you're worrying about how Joel sleeps
0: and eats, then you need to just relax. You know, just like the Mystery Science Theater. (laughs) Uh, You should really just relax.
1: I'm wondering why this 10-year-old boy still looks like a 10-year-old boy. I mean, sure. Ed does not seem to have learned a good goddamn thing. No. After living in the world that wants to kill him. Right. No. I mean, like, I'll give
0: him that. I'll give him credit for that, because that's what the cartoon was like. I just, like, look, we got a Star Trek adventures that would look exactly like the old school star Trek animation. We got a transformers adventures. that looks exactly like the transformers animation, you know, like, and then they do this and it doesn't look like the Saturday morning animation at all.
1: And, but haven't I also in- heard you complain about those comic books that look too much? Like no, the old I liked those animation? because they look just like it. All right. <laughs> uh, I think it's a matter of taste and that's fine. I mean, you are giving your opinion and and I'm not, I'm not denying you. Uh, but I, I think the art's fine for what it is. I, I It's just, I need more information. Like, I can no prize my way to how Joel eats and sleeps and drinks and poops. But you can't tell me that these kids have been living in the forgotten realms for X amount of actual years, enough to be called several And none of them have learned a damn thing about how to use their powers. Yeah, okay, that's a valid point. And I think it
0: strikes to what I was saying, too. If this isn't just going to be the further adventures, it's the later adventures. Then they should be a little older and a little more hardcore and better. How about you set it several weeks later instead of several years later? And that
1: solves every problem. 15 minutes later, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Before breakfast that same day. How about that? The THN Cartoon Express keeps rolling with Darkwing Duck colon, Justice Ducks. Number one, it's from Dynamite. It's written by Roger Langridge. Uh, who spells his name with a D? I think that's adorable and British. Uh, art by Carlo can't, Loro. Can't help R-O-D, he's British?
0: R-O-D-G-E-R. <laughs> Roger. Joe, nobody wants to be born British. It just happens, okay?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he can't help it. Letters are by Jeff Eckleberry, And the main cover... Is by Mirka and Dolfo. Uh, I say main cover because that is how Dynamite listed it. Oh. and you know damn well there's about thirty of them. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Covers yeah. A through like gonna, T. <laughs> we, we don't have all day. It's thirty two pages for three ninety nine. Here's your solicit. Darkwing Duck is teaming up, whether he likes it or not foes of evil, enemies of injustice, to the mighty heroes of the Justice Ducks, all bad guys are a total bummer and must be taken down, even if said bados are from outer space. In this thrilling maiden issue, flying saucers descend from the skies to maybe wreak impossible havoc upon the mostly innocent citizens of St. Canard. All that's stopping these aggressive alien agitators is stegmut. Gizmo Duck, Neptunia, Morgana, who I thought was a villain, but I, did, I might be yeah, thinking. Me too. But you know what? I'm thinking of Magica Dispel from oh, Ducktales. Different,
0: okay, Pardon different me. magic lady. Sorry, it's been and a while since, most we've, imp- since we've tended our our Darkwing Duck. Yeah, fan yeah, yeah. Fiction. Uh, I haven't been in the.
1: I haven't waded into the Ducktales <laughs> cartoon universe uh, in a long time. Uh, and most important, in his opinion, Darkwing Duck. It's written by Eisner and Harvey Award winning Roger Langridge who, and they did not include the D in that. I'm sorry, Roger. And illustrated by celebrated Darkwing Duck artist Carlo Loro, this latest chapter in the ongoing saga of St. Canard's web-footed wonders is surely destined for greatness, just like D.D. himself. So, I want you to look up Roger language, because either the inside of the comic got it wrong, or these guys got it wrong when they wrote the solicit. So I chose this because I am a big fan of Roger Langridge, and I used to like Darkwing Duck quite a bit when I was a kid. Superheroes plus Ducktales, what's not to like? So I figured, why not? This carries over from the previous DD series, but there really isn't anything you need to know ahead of time. It helps that all the characters are well-known hero archetypes. You've got your Hulk, your Iron Man, your magic user, etc. The script is very goofy, which is right in Langridge's wheelhouse. Loro's art is dynamic, it's colorful, and it's perfectly suited for the animated subject matter. Is Justice Duck's number one must-read material? Of course it isn't, but it is a faithful interpretation of the source material. And it's perfect for the young superhero fan in your life. I'm giving this a strong skimmet. L-A-N-G-R-I-D-G-E. Roger Langridge. No, first name,
0: first name. R-O-G-E-R. Damn, they got it wrong inside the comic. Yeah, go figure. I don't know. That's cold blooded. Go figure. So, this comic book is exactly what I was hoping for. With the previous comic book we were just talking I mean, about, fair. They do the job. It looks like this type of animation. I can recognize all the characters. They're talking like, like "Is this for me?" No, obviously. But you can't argue that this creative team did a fantastic job, and. The artist is, like, studied, is doing the thing. It looks like Disney art. They nailed it. They If you're into Darkwing or, you know, any of the Disney duck stuff, you're going to love this. It's fun to read with your kids. If you're an adult, you'll get the little jokes that they drop. This is a good example of how this type of stuff should be done. I'm giving it a
1: buy-it. It's like, you know, it's not for me, but they did the job. Okay, that's all well, Okay, then I'm upping it to a buy-it then. I'd I see? only gave it a skim it because, you know, it's if- a cartoon book for cartoon people but you but they're doing the job that's what i'm saying you know it does succeed in what it's it does succeed in what it's doing yeah, yeah
0: 100% let's stay in our lighthearted fun kitty theme with detective comics 1081 from dc It's 36 pages for 4.99 this is written by ram v with a backup by Dan Waters, cover by Evan Cagle. And it is awesome, by the way. And who is Evan Cagle?
1: Never heard of this dude, but oh my. I've God. heard of him. I've heard of him. I can't say that I have.
0: Fantastic. Evan Cagle's
1: been doing the covers for this entire run. He's been doing them since Ram V started.
0: Okay, see, I thought it was the artist the whole time, but you know, whatever. New.
1: No, it's Evan Cagle Evan the whole time.
0: He says art by Stefano Raffale and Riccardo Ferretto Ricci with a backup by. Backup art by Hayden Sherman, colors by Lee Loffridge, and letters by Tom Napolitino. Here is your solicit. Batman's worst fears become real! I mean, sort of. I don't think they could actually be real here, but... they ain't ain't real. (laughs) Spirited away from a city that believes him dead, Batman has been brought far from Gotham and deposited in a desert of legend. Possessed by an Asmer demon and rapidly losing his own identity, he must now cross this mythic landscape on a vision quest no water, no supplies, and no one to save him. Batman is left with two choices. Burn out the demon, or be left as bones in the sand. Meanwhile, the Orgum's master plan is finally fully enacted as they use the reality engine to make all of Gotham forget there was ever a Batman. Bear witness to Batman's worst fears made manifest in Elegy of Sand, part one. I have not been keeping up with Ram V's psychoanalytic trip into Batman's brain that has been his detective run, but it certainly continues here. As with the previous chapters, the art is just incredible. Mind-bending dreamscape stuff with really soft, detailed pencils, and the second story starring Rene Montoya as The Question is a perfect classic noir detective story feel with a much heavier line and dark green and blue color tone. The main story featuring Batman in what seems to be a desert purgatory is almost the stuff of an Elseworlds tale or Legends of the Dark Knight style story. But as you keep reading, V's overarching plot comes into focus and Dan Waters' backup story that finally ties it all together with excellent art by Hayden Sherman is terrifying. (laughs) Some of V's writing can be a lot there's plenty of, like, literary reference here that I'm sure I'm missing. But the book as a whole is just really impressive and is delivering on all fronts. I'm giving this a buy it.
1: Uh, So the Ricardo... Uh, the Dreamscape Desert stuff was by Ricardo Federici. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah. And Stefano Raphael did the street stuff. Raffaelli. It's Raffaelli. <laughs> okay. So this is not... Um, Part one of anything. I don't care what the name on the story is, okay? (laughs) So, let's not kid each other. Uh, This is like Ram V's Detective Comics, part 15. And it reads like that. And that's going to be tough for anybody picking this up just because it says part one. And it was tough for me because I also have not been reading Detective Comics. I've read enough to know that there's something going on with this weird family. Yeah and they're trying to usurp Gotham from the Batman and then there's also there's also there was also some subplot with Commissioner Gordon and uh the kid with the wings on his back that's not mentioned here and I don't know where how that ties in or if that part's over so there's a lot going on and I didn't understand hardly any of it however I did like it <laughs> so I guess that's a buy it, but I will give it a caveat that like, this is not a jumping on point. This is not a good place for anyone to no. wade into Ram V's detective comics. I agree.
0: I think the moral of the story is here. You should be reading Ram V's detective comics. Just start. The yeah. Game. I mean,
1: it's very good. Yeah. It, but it's, he's doing a thing it, but it, and it's a long running thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's not, you know, there aren't really distinct arcs where the next arc is something completely different like you might find in some creators runs right right it's one long story broken into bite-sized chunks you remember how i said that uh, reading ghost machine number one took a really long time in a good way yeah let's talk about one that took a really long time in a bad way (laughs) yeah i had a few (laughs) it's the resurrection of magneto number one from marvel comics it's written by Al Ewing, and I hate to do it to my boy, Al, but... We love we'll Al Ewing.
0: We'll get into it. We'll yeah. get into it.
1: it. The art here is by Luciano Vecchio. Colors are by David Curiel. Letters are by VCs Joe Sabino. Shout out to my gang, VC. Cover by Stefano Caselli and Jesus Abertoff. Jesus Abertoff is the colors. It's 40 pages for $5.99. Here's your solicit. Life, death! Remember life, death from
0: the 80s? Yeah, of course. Of
1: course. Shout out. Not, and he was a little... Barry Windsor Smith, this is not. No, no. (laughs) On Krakoa, resurrection from the dead was as easy as completing a circuit, but Krakoa fell. The time of easy miracles is over and only the hard roads are left. Now it falls to storm as the epic conclusion to the Krakoan age looms to bring their oldest enemy home to fight against the fall of the House of X. But after all he did and all that was done to him, can Magneto bear to return? Spoiler alert. I mean, yes. Of course. (laughs) It's going to happen. It's happening. I'll say this for Al Ewing the dude goes all in when he's working with a status quo established by other creators. You give him some small plot points about Krakoa and about Tarn the Uncaring and about Arako, and the dude is fucking off to the races. Oh, yeah. You might have, like, he might be taking it too seriously. He might still be running after the race is over.
0: Yeah, this is too respectful to the creators. Yeah, uh,
1: so, like, you know, that's not always a good thing. Case in point, the resurrection of Magneto number one, in which Ewing gives us extended sequences about Dominions. Wanda Maximoff's Mutant Purgatory, Barf. The Waiting Room, which, you know, seemed like a good idea until you realize that it is basically Purgatory and Purgatories always go wrong. And, of course, Araco. Your mileage may vary, but I am so over most of this stuff that this issue felt like a tremendous slog. Luciano Vecchio's art is very good, and David Curiel's colors are gorgeous, so that does definitely help. And there are some great character beats like Storm jumping without hesitation into the afterlife to save her friend and her ultimate victory against Tarn the Uncaring, who up until now has been... Uh, established as some sort of unbeatable foe, even though he's. I do you know, not afterlife. care about Tarn. I don't uncaring. care about it. I don't care about him either. It's, so when she vaporized him, I was like, sweet. It's That's right in saying. his name. You don't have to care about him. Don't worry about don't, it. Yeah. He doesn't care about you. In <laughs> you fact, know? I made that exact same joke <laughs> when you mentioned something about it in the Discord. <laughs> this may also be the first mainline Marvel comic to reference something that happened in one of those dumb flashback titles, namely gambit, oh. and uh, you know, that's something, I guess. Yeah,
0: like if you're trying uh, to tell me that this shit happened in those gambit, like the where he took a wh- peek into in the, the editor life no, when he was running around with friend. stuff. Like, ah. Yes, indeed.
1: No! <laughs> the Resurrection of Magneto number one has some good stuff going for it, but I'm just so far past caring about the majority of the concepts that it features that it was just kind of a chore to read. I'm going to give it a skim it because... It's not for me, but I cannot deny that Al Ewing does his job. God damn it. The art is very good. Like, God these damn are, it. These are strengths. You're gonna make me give it a skim. at too. God damn it! <laughs> I was so mad. Look, I have to be Look, honest. It, not every comic book is for you and me, and that's okay. I,
0: I get it. Look, when I got to the last page and I realized there's more of this, I thought it was a one shot. I mm. audibly gasped and went, "Oh no!" Yeah, you you asked me. <laughs> yes, you asked me how many issues is this, and I said, oh
1: "God!" Like, I said, it's at least four. It's just and like you, a, went, oh God. you
0: know, storm wandering through the neither world
1: and the dominions. The, the most boring there. looking. Uh, um, afterlife ever depicted yeah, in comics, and by the it's way. It's just
0: like, ah, uh, come on. And here's the thing. Don't let me see you working. I know you're working, but I'm here to have a good time. The k effect. Same reason we watch wrestling. We know it's scripted. We're here to have a good time. Forget about shit. Read about our X-Men. I know Magneto is coming back. I get it. I don't need it to be any more dramatic than this. At the they could have said the final page. She could have been like, we're done here. Bam, Magneto's back. And I go whoa good <laughs> like
1: come on i just yeah i agree it could have been a one shot yeah this
0: is just painful i'm giving it a skim it it's pretty they did a ewing's right in the hell out of it blah 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 whatever i just don't care <laughs> i don't care <laughs> yeah. i just don't care that's it
1: x-men new comics from wednesday january 31st
0: We move to this week with Moon Man, number one from Image. It's 40 pages. It's 4.99. It's my favorite Soundgarden song is that right? Moon Man, Moon Man. Written by Scott Mascuti yeah. and Kyle Higgins. Main cover and art by Marco Locati. Colors by Igor Monti. Letters by Hassan Asmani Ilahu. Here's your solicit. Superstar musician Scott Kid Cuddy Muscutty makes his comics debut alongside Eisner Award-nominated co-writer Kyle Higgins from Radiant Black and breakout artist Marco Lacati In the extra link first issue of the biggest book of 2024, Ramon is ready for a quiet life. Whatever went wrong on the failed moon mission, whatever happened in the missing minutes the cameras didn't capture, all he really wants is to settle down back home but those missing minutes hold an earth-shattering secret and, with all eyes turned to him, Ramon will soon find himself becoming something the world has never seen before. But it looks like we have another case of when celebrities write comics, and if you listen to THN episode 629, you would know what tends to happen. Also, happy birthday, Mr. Kid. He was born this week, 1.30. Good for you. Moon Man is not a part of Higgins' massive verse and image, but it is a hero's journey about a character bestowed with powers under mysterious circumstances. It's not clear who is pulling the heavyweight on the storytelling, but the two main characters... Kyle Higgins. I mean, probably, but like, I think the two main characters, Ramon and his brother, have very authentic dialogue, makes them sound like they grew up in a poor section of Cleveland. Locati's art is blocky and has almost a sort of like graffiti style at times. Teamed with Monty on colors to bring the mysterious space flashback scenes to, like, incredible, vivid, explosive life. I love Monty's watercolored colored backgrounds. They, they can be soft and muted when Ramon is, like, at home. And then they just explode in cosmic weirdness a panel later. There were some POV issues during a riot scene that lost me for just a second. I think it was just a little too stylized.
1: That's, that's just the visual storytelling yeah. that needs to be addressed.
0: But at the point I was. It like, wasn't
1: a problem with the art style. It no, was no, a no. With the, way with the artist laid out the scene. That's, yes. I think
0: that's, that's what it was. Visual storytelling. Because I was like, okay, so wait a minute. Is that the character? <laughs> and then I went, okay, yeah, yeah. it is. So.
1: Yeah. And I'll talk about that too when I get to my opinion because I had the same issue.
0: Okay. But as a whole, the comic book really looks great. Moon Man is a solid first issue building off a mystery with themes of mega-corporate entities taking over not just our daily lives, but space exploration, too. I'm giving this what? a buy-it.
1: That'll never happen. No. Uh, okay, yeah, this is a buy-it for me, and I totally agree. I read this uh, today, and I got to that part where... Um, so look, there, here's a mild, mild spoiler. It's very like ripped from the headlines kind of stuff. I mean, where, I think you could just say Ramon reveals his powers. Just uh, and then you're well, not. But spoil you mentioned anything. something about a riot, right? So it, it, it's very ripped from the headlines in the in the sense that um, you know it's a, a these people, including his brother, are protesting this corporation, and the cops show up. Well, we all know what happens when cops show up during a protest, primarily populated by. Black and brown people, et cetera, et cetera. They restore and, freedom
0: to America and send those yeah, terrorists right, home, yeah, right? Yeah, That's exactly, what happens. Right.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> That's
0: uh, a joke. That is a joke. They're not a GI Joe, way. Matt. We firmly, uh, Black Lives Matter, we stand with them. Okay.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> they're not fighting against the forces of Cobra. Um, and uh, so Ramon is watching it on the news. He knows that his brother's down there, and you see a panel of him. Looking at something that is so close up that it took me at least three or four like back and forth looks to finally realize he's looking at the helmet of his spacesuit. Yeah,
0: yeah, it, it, I I couldn't quite see it either. It's like a zoom so close was, up. The zoom was too tight.
1: Yeah, the, the 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 zoom was so close up that the full radius of the like bubble. Was outside of the bounds of the panel. So you couldn't barely even tell it was a, a sphere. I think they were
0: trying to capture like a little bit of his reflection and you were supposed to pick up on yeah, that. I, and yeah. It, like, does it look cool?
1: Yes. Is it
0: good I mean, to do storytelling? They could, uh,
1: but like mm. that could have been, I don't know, a mirror or a <laughs> exactly. window or that, a really shiny countertop. Yeah, like it exactly. was unclear. Uh, and then next thing you know, there's a guy in a spacesuit punching cops right. and it's like, oh, okay, it's him. And so yeah, there were some issues where the storytelling fell down a little bit, but the art and the colors are gorgeous. Like yeah. they're brilliant. Uh, this is a beautiful comic book. It, this is a buy it. I like the story a lot. Uh, it's very you know kind of like Christopher Nolan, Interstellar adjacent. Like something happened to you, you know? Like sure. It's yeah, I I like it. I like it a lot. It's a buy it. Hey, props the hey, kid. You know what? Props kid Cudi, huh? Coming out hey, of here. I got no. I, hey, I'm a. I'm already a fan of Kid Cuddy's extracurricular activities. He was a. He showed up as a guest star on the show Scorpion, which I loved back in the day, and uh, he was really good in it. Pretty good musician too. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard any. <laughs> That's episode. his day gig, you know. <laughs> Somebody call the ASPCA. It's time for Titans Beast World number six. They got no the respect DC for comics. these animals. Let me tell you. <laughs> no animals were harmed during the production of this issue. It's written by Tom Taylor, pencils by Ivan Rice, Lucas Meyer, and Eduardo Panic. That's not right. It's like Panicia. Panicia. Panishia. Panishia. Sorry, Eduardo my Panishia. autocorrect in uh, Pages is out of control. I think it's Panacea. Yeah. Inks are by Danny Miki. Lucas Meyer and Julio Ferreira colors are by Brad Anderson and Romulo Fayardo jr. Who we mentioned earlier in the episode. It's true. Letters are by Wes Abbott and it's 48 pages for 599. Here's your solicit. Dr. Hate revealed nah. as Raven makes her final stand against the chaotic evil sorcerer. The Titans raced against time to cure the world of the epidemic caused by beast boy. How far will the team go? How much will the friends sacrifice? Watch as the DCU is forced to evolve or die in this shocking conclusion. Spoiler alert for the previous issue. I will admit it. I was very underwhelmed by last issue's revelation that Dr. Hate was just an evil version of Raven under that helmet. Lame. Not Raven turned evil. Just an evil version of Raven. Lame. 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 And I still am underwhelmed. Yeah. I think that Tom Taylor missed an opportunity to do something really interesting with that reveal. But to be fair, now that all the cards are on the table, it's clear that Taylor did drop some clues about Evil Raven here and there in his other titles. So it's not like it came out of nowhere. Real quick, that may be.
0: But when we first saw pictures of Dr. Hate, that was a ripped up dude wearing that costume.
1: I, I think that with that big old tunic on, it's impossible to tell if it's a dude or not under that. I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I was I looking think, and
0: I went, mm, this gives me yeah. those like Ronin Echo vibes. You well, know. that might
1: be, but I think it's perfect. I think it was purposely designed so that that like chest piece thing covered like all the way down. From the neck to the navel, basically. Sure. I mean, I'll um, allow it, but i I'm- I'm like, and it was, you know, baggy. You know, like they're, I see him working, is what I'm saying. I just don't know if I like the end result. Right. Despite my feelings about Doc Hate, this is actually a pretty great finale. The heroes, led by Nightwing, shut down the threat with a save everyone style plan worthy of these icons and Dawn of DC's more optimistic tone. And it proves that the Titans deserve to stand side by side with DC's greatest heroes. The presence of multiple artists throughout the event has been a bummer, but I'm sure that had a lot to do with Ivan Rice's uh, jump over to ghost machine. Could be. And the other artists have done a really good job throughout the series. So, you know, I'm choosing to not hold that against this title. Rice definitely quit very suddenly. No question. Uh, But it's just like, how does the, like, how does a dude only draw like half of three issues? You know what I mean? Well, you, like, you quit. <laughs> I guess. I guess. <laughs> but he had half of number three drawn and half of number six drawn. I like, think I don't get it. You say, take this but job I'm and not, shove you know it, it and pff, you're out. <laughs> I get it. I don't know. You know, I, who's to say what happened? My other big gripe is that this story doubles down on the character assassination of Amanda Waller. Instead of being a pragmatic strategist capable of seeing the big picture and making tough decisions, Waller is now little more than a mustache-twiddling villain willing to slaughter literal millions. But I'm not holding that against Taylor's story because that's definitely a decision made above his pay grade. Yeah, yeah. There are basically a lot of things about this book that I'm not holding against this book because I think they were made by other people. I think the decisions were made by other people. Overall... Titans Beast World Number Six wraps up DC's latest event, one of their best in recent memory. To be fair, with a mostly strong finish that teases further conflict down the road for DC's greatest heroes, I'm going to give this a buy it. I was down on Beast World after that issue five, and then I read issue six, and they brought it all together. And then Nightwing stepped up, and they saved everybody. And I was just like, okay, I mean, I, yeah. I, of course they. I knew did it. They did it. They'd, they'd <laughs>
0: Yeah, like all the Titans stuff that Tom Taylor's been doing is really good. The Nightwing stuff that Tom Taylor is doing is really good. When Tom Taylor gets thrust into mega DC crossover, he's got to deal with a lot of overriding stuff that's going on in the DC universe. The Doctor hate shit sucked. I'm sorry, but like, didn't need it. Didn't work. And I'm blaming Taylor for that because this is going to continue in the Titans, and that's his book. There's no way Amanda Waller could possibly have a job after this.
1: There's no way. Nightwing well, talks it, and that to the president. I, <laughs> right. I, and on. that was something that I kind of like scratched my head about, but I was, it, you know, once the government does something to create an organization, once an organization is created, it's not like the president can just go, Dissolved. Like, he Actually, can't snap yes, his fingers and they go away.
0: If they tried to kill a million people, yeah, Joe, they can throw that person in prison she and got say... Permi- but she got permission to kill a This is
1: people. really, really, really bad, <laughs> you know? But she got permission, though. I she don't think had she permission. got permission from the president, so heads would definitely she roll. She had permission from the president, and then... Heads would still completely roll, And then Nightwing Joe. talked him out of it, is all I'm saying. There's no way.
0: And it's just like, you've set this character up as such a bad, like, beyond Lex Luthor level at this point. Lex Luthor isn't even trying to murder this many human beings. He just wants to kill S- Superman for the most part, you know. I, I, mean, I mean, yeah. That's, not a pro- that's neither here nor there. Because I do think there's some editorial direction that Amanda Waller is driving the crux of DC baddies this year. Deal with it. So you got to write inside those rings. I get it. Fine. I'm giving this a buy it. He did a great job. There's some really good moments, some really strong hero stuff going on here. A lot of art switches. That shit gets me. But none of the artists are bad. It's not ideal, but they're not doing a bad job. None of the artists are bad. And it's just not ideal. When you see this many people working on a book, you go, what happened? (laughs) You know, like, come on. (laughs) I'm giving it a buy it. I, I had a good time with it. It's not a perfect event. It is definitely better. The Night Terrors. <laughs> I'll say that.
1: Well above it's that. It's better than a lot of DC recently. Yeah, it's been better than a lot. Oh.
0: Oh. Oh. Let's step away from the big two and talk about Jill and the Killers. Number one from Oni. It's 48 pages. It's 6.99. It's written by Olivia Cuarto-Briggs with main cover by Sanya Anwar. Art by Roberta in Granada, and colors by Rebecca Nulty. Oh, ladies, I dig that. Letters by Haley Roseland. Nice job, girls. Here is your solicit. A double-sized and dangerous 48-page debut! Rising stars Olivia Quarto briggs who worked on Mary Shelley Monster Hunter, and Roberta Ingranata, who worked on Witchblade and Doctor Who, present a new game where even murder is much more than it seems. Returning to school after the unsolved disappearance of her mother, teenager Jill Estrada can't wait for things to return to normal even as her friends become compulsively obsessed with Box Killers, a true crime subscription game where each month's unsolved case is custom-tailored to the life of its player. There's only one catch. Jill's game seems to be all too real, and when her clues begin to connect to a series of disappearances in her town, Jill and her friends must uncover the truth behind these mysterious crimes before one of their own becomes the next victim. Okay, the setup here is clever enough. Group of teen girls think they're playing some kind of mail order detective game, but end up investigating an actual double murder. So the script isn't bad with some funny dialogue from Jill or friends. Dialogue is a little cringy, but I suppose this could be what kids sound like these days. <laughs> no, while there is some humor here, it's not a comedy. So there's some plot points that really ask for some suspension of disbelief, like characters not realizing they discovered an actual disembodied foot. Thank you. (laughs) That's a hard one to pull off. (laughs) The art isn't bad, but there's some strange visual storytelling like choices here as well. There's things that like happen off panel, like a bunch of guts dumping onto the cops, which again, the main characters don't take very seriously at all. Jill and the killers has a clever premise. It seems to take itself seriously enough when dealing with the main characters, trauma, but really loses momentum when it gets strangely silly. I'm giving this a skim it. Like you got to pick your tone. What are we doing here? You know?
1: I agree. Uh, This is a skim it. I think that the premise is interesting. Yeah. But um, the second that that first box gets unpacked, those are bags full of real bloody shit with all kinds of victims blood kicked on it and all like yeah and like there's no it, there's no
0: mailing address there's
1: no like you know like yeah <laughs> and, and so yeah right and the bat the the address is just like scrawled on the top of the box with sharpie like right. some sort of
0: serial killer like, I'll wrote buy, it it's expensive and
1: they want it's it like, to be believable bought this from a company right they yeah. didn't print this label on a computer i don't get it Right. Like if you ordered and, like one of those, like,
0: Oh, you know, organic dinner delivered to your house. And it just like showed up on a plate.
1: You, you wouldn't be like, <laughs> that's gotta be it. You know, like it, no. showed up, it showed up in a box, very poorly taped shut. No, I mean like laying in the heat on your porch, no with box. your name on it, scribbled in um, a yeah, uh, <laughs> marker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, mm, don't eat that. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, there are some issues. There are there are some leaps in logic that the premise asks the reader to take that I just don't I just don't know if I can take. Like it's the second that foot came out of the freezer in the junkyard, I was like that's a real foot. Yeah. And I'm not and I'm like it's fictional. I'm re- I'm looking at it at the page. I I just know enough about storytelling to know that that was going to be a real foot. Right. She's carting it around, like, in her backpack, holding it with her bare hands. Yeah. How is that not clear that that is a real human, right.
0: severed human foot? Unless you're a guest on this planet and you don't know yeah. a lot about people.
1: <laughs> um, the, the dialogue I thought was rough, but I also think that uh, the writer was playing it up purposefully. Yeah. Like, it was... Definitely extra cringy on purpose to kind of illustrate how Jill was disconnected. Well, but also
0: I think like this other girl is trying so hard to be so The the other girl was,
1: the other girl spoke like a, a TV character. Right. And, and like, it's so blatantly obvious that she's some sort of immortal witch or some other dumb thing. Uh well, not dumb. Sorry. I, that was easy, easy, easy. But easy. like, <laughs> th- 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 but it's very clear, like, like, oh, this, this girl is very, very old. She's done this before. Right. She knows what's going on. She's there's, a witch. There's more going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Or she's some sort of supernatural being like there are, there are beats here that are very obvious. And um, I don't know. I'm giving the, I'm giving the skim it. Cause I really, really like the premise. It's just that the execution of that premise just really kind of made me scratch my head a little bit.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's like one of those books where I'm like, okay, this is obviously written for a younger audience and stuff, but that can still be done in a way
1: but yeah, where- but this book's for mature readers. It's full of F-bombs.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's true. It can yeah. still be done in a way where it's it should make a little more sense.
1: You know? Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no need to suspend disbelief when you've got G.I. Joe, America's daring, highly trained special mission force on the case. We talking Duke number two from Skybound. It's written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Tom Riley. Colors are by Jordy Belair. Letters by Ross Wooten. It is 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Codename G.I. Joe continues. Conrad Hauser, a.k.a. Duke, is on the run from the very government he trusted, Investigating secrets that may be more than meets the eye in all caps. Wait a minute. That's a different cartoon. Now he's about to meet the last person any G.I. Joe fan ever expected. Are they friend, foe, or in it for themselves? We missed our chance to review Duke number one when it came out at the end of last year, so I was very happy to have a chance to talk about this issue. Duke is being hunted after being framed for the murder of his friend and ally redacted. So he has no choice but to turn to someone that the government wouldn't think to investigate. Clutch! Spoiler alert, they definitely think to investigate Clutch. (laughs) Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley's excellent reimagining of G.I. Joe's origin is shaping up with the addition of Rock and Roll and Stalker as special operatives sent to take Duke in. They keep hiding Destro's big reveal as if fans won't immediately know who they're seeing, but that only makes it more fun, kind of. It's perfect. I know. I'm just like, every time he shows up, I giggle. That is the kayfabe.
0: Like, they're doing it. We're like, we all know.
1: (laughs) Uh, Eagle-eyed fans will spot at least one hint to a beloved Joe yet to be revealed in the dialogue. And a Cobra operative you love to hate makes their first appearance on the final page. The Energon Universe's revival of G.I. Joe is coming along very nicely, and Duke number two is the latest action-packed chapter. Huge buy it. This book is a blast.
0: Yeah, you've heard us rant about it enough. Honestly, if you're not on board, you're missing out. Even if you're not a fan of this stuff and you didn't like the old comics, they're doing something different. They really are. That's just like grabbing the spirit of what you loved as a kid, updating it, for us as adults, but not making it so, you know, extreme and violent and edgy and whatever. Like, they're just nailing it. They're nailing this. This is so great. And the artist choice, like, they could have very easily gotten any super hot, big flashy slick name, David yeah. Finch, you know, or Jim Lee looking, you know, clone to draw this. Tom Riley is an awesome choice and is killing this. I love it. Bye. Everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, your first Zenescope
1: comic ever reviewed by Two-Headed Nerd is... That's not true. Really? That's not true. Oh, you're kidding. We've done a Zenescope comic in the past. Have we? Oh, man. We definitely have.
0: All right, fine. Well, next up is Holmes and Houdini, number one from Zenescope. It's 32 pages. (laughs) It's $5.99. It's written by... I mean, I didn't mean to take the wind out of your (laughs) sails or anything. I just thought it was a big, important thing. It's written by Honor Vincent... With art and cover by Oliver Borges. Colors by Fran Gamboa with J.C. Ruiz. He helped, too. Or or she helped. I don't know, J.C. Letters by Taylor Esposito. Here's your solicit. Ancient secret societies. Pregnant pause. Mysterious advanced technology. Another pregnant pause. Bloodlines tied to the end of the world. Few names hold such high prestige and weight. ...as those of Holmes and Houdini Spencer Holmes. <laughs> it's just like, it's right no, there. No, not it's hyphenated. Holmes and
1: Houdini. Spencer is the girl's first name. I know, but it's hyphenated, so it just the way it's written right, is right very, into it. Yeah, confusing.
0: Spencer Holmes and Erica Houdini have known that all too well... ...as they both have been carrying the burden of their infamous ancestors their whole lives. Completely unaware of the other's existence... But when the death of a loved one sets these two on a collision course, they discover that their worlds are much more entwined and extraordinary than they ever imagined. Okay, I'm just going to come out and say it. This book is clunky in in the weirdest way. Yeah. And and I don't, I'm like, I'm not mad at it, but... Okay, look, if you're not an avid Zen scope reader, prepare to wonder if you've missed something with what seemed like it might be both of these characters' first appearances. The story mainly follows Erica Houdini, whose last name is not Houdini. She's a realtor named Erica Weiss, who finds out she's Houdini's great-grandchild via secret family after inheriting some of his tricks and a magic grimoire that she uses for her magic career under the name Erica Houdini, who isn't an escape artist, but is a real magician searching for the truth behind her husband's death while working for a famous billionaire. Let's just marinate on that dating. for a minute. Working slash dating. Working slash dating a famous I player. mean, I guess her day, but let's just marinate on that for a second. Yeah. How goddamn confusing and complex does well, that and that's need to only be? He has, right, that's You're only right. that's only the Houdini part. We haven't part even gotten to the second part. <laughs> Meanwhile, Spencer Holmes, who is Sherlock's descendant, is working with a secret benefactor named Watson. Oh, did you see that coming? I did, and has access to magic items that Erica also has, including a cloaking device thing we'll call it none of it is very well spelled out for a first issue but i will say there is an editor's note that mentions there's more information in the previous holmes number one issue so maybe i missed the story on why both these characters have magic items
1: Yeah, at the very least, there was a previous Holmes story, but there's nothing said about a previous Houdini story. No, there is not. I think this is the introduction
0: of Erica Weiss Houdini, or maybe it's Houdini Weiss. I don't know. The whole plot is just so needlessly complicated at times, and it's missing some very basic information at other points. The art is fine. It's it's J. Scott Campbell worship superhero it's, stuff. It's,
1: yeah.
0: And there wasn't much <laughs> of the cheesecake that I anticipated. I fully thought this was going to be boobs, butts, panty
1: shots all the way through. It yeah, really wasn't. P- peas and veggies all up in. It
0: really wasn't. The story just seemed both over and under explained at the same time with some really, really odd plot choices. I, I'm not going to give it a leave it. Because, like, there's a lot going on here, and they're fleshing something out, and the art's not bad. But, like, why does it have to be this goddamn complex? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Skim it. Skim (laughs) it.
1: It's a skim it. Uh, So, I I thought that this was okay. Um, I agree with all the things you said. It's got some... It's got some storytelling issues as far as the introduction of the plot. There's a lot of exposition and a lot of things being told and not shown. Yeah. And like, I get that there was a Holmes book before and that's totally fine. Uh, There is no mention of the Houdini of Houdini appearing before this. And this might be her first appearance. It might not be, but her entire backstory is just like explained in flashback, which again is another thing that happens a lot. So whatever, but
0: But I mean, you could dial it back to she's the ancestor of Harry Houdini. She didn't know it. She found out one day. Oh my God. Then her husband disappeared. Now she's using her powers to go figure out where he is. And her husband
1: for a secret bill. You like worked for the comic (laughs) book Elon Musk. And yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts. It's true. Um, It did become clear to me by the time the issue was over, even though it took me a minute to put it together. That, oh, here is your inheritance from your grandfather. Surprise! You had a secret grandpa. You didn't know it. Uh, so whoever left that box on Houdini's doorstep, and whoever the organization is that Holmes reports to, that Watson. Works yeah, they're for, related. Obviously. They're the same. Yeah, they're the same organization. Of course, because it's the same like magic cloaking thing. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, they, they're they on the same side. They just don't know it, which is again, a time worn comic. Sure. Trope. And sure. it like, it checks off all the boxes. It's, it just takes them a weird and wild route to yeah, get there. And like,
0: like, you know, when you used to take the, you know, the bubble tests and they would put it in the machine and read them. They'd be like, be sure you fill in those boxes all the way. Otherwise you might have the right answer and it's not going to count. Like if this checked off the boxes, but not all the checks were quite in the box or firmly drawn, you know? So you were like, I don't know. Is
1: that, I guess that checks the box. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, yeah, it's got some issues, but I, I think the premise is kind of fun. And you're right. It is not a, what we have come to know as a stereotypical cheesecake. Not at all. Scope book. No, not at all. Um, I mean, there's a little bit. There's a side. You know, there's boob. like, there's one side. There's, boob. there's one like pretty blatant side boob thing, For but that's like, no that's reason
0: it. either. Like, it's just like, why did we do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not even and, kinky. And <laughs>
1: that, but, but that's it. Like, there's no other, like, I, I didn't really, if it happened, it didn't. Register with me that like there were any like close-ups of asses or no? Anything. Like no. I don't think there was, and everyone is fully clothed. Yeah, so it's like okay, well, good job. So um, the art is okay. It's it's a little awkward, but uh, it's ba- It's more or less pretty decent. I'm giving this a skim it because I think it's a fun idea. Um, that just has a few issues with execution. Yeah. I think that's kind of been the theme. Of this entire show that's, so far. That's, yeah, kind of
0: a... I think kind that of theme a, will yeah. gently carry into our next review.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Payback time. Our last review of the night is Dead X-Men, number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Steve Fox, with pencils by Jonas Scharf, Bernard Chang, and Vincenzo Caratu. Colors are by Frank Martin. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Cover by Lucas Wernick. It's 40 pages for four ninety nine, and here is your solicit. Death was only the beginning! When the world turned against Krakoa, these five mutants lost their lives, but their mission as X-Men is just getting started. To preserve Xavier's dream, they must accomplish the impossible or die again trying. Spinning out from Rise of the Powers of X, discover Who are the dead X-Men? Dead X-Men number one performs the bare minimum of setup to explain its premise. Oh, yeah. (laughs) With, uh, With scant, scant mentions of the cast's resurrection buried on text pages and passing lines of dialogue. In fact, that's how I know for sure they're alive, because it says so in the text pages. The event is never shown, nor is it explained how their resurrection was accomplished with the five currently MIA. But the premise also isn't difficult to grasp. Five X-Men who used to be dead aren't anymore. And now they're on a mission to help Professor X stop Moira before she becomes an immortal, former mutant, current, cyborg, mutant, hating, killing machine. (laughs) It's so simple. It is what it is. Former (laughs) mutant, mutant, hating, killing machine. You just wedge cyborg in there. Yeah. The rest is just timeline hopping multiversal action-packed gravy. I like the team that writer Steve Fox has assembled. It's Cannonball, Dazzler, Frenzy, Prodigy, and Jubilee. And each character gets a moment to shine. The presence of multiple artists seems to be due to the multiple timeline shenanigans, and the art is very good throughout. Minus some weird shading that Matt and I discussed earlier today. So I'm choosing to believe that that was a conscious choice. Each artist draws a, you know, a different world. If it's not, they did it the right way. So
0: well done either way.
1: Dead X-Men number one throws readers right into the deep end of the plot and gives them just enough context to stay afloat. But I ended up having fun with it when all of a sudden done it's, you know, it's a romp. It's like, it's a task force X like challenges of the unknown living on borrowed time. It's like, we who are about strike force Who we who are about to die, you know. It's sure,
0: like, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I get it.
1: And so I'm giving this a
0: strong skim it. I'm glad you had fun. I'm glad. I agree. It was a romp. It was not a romp that I enjoyed. And I am. You tell me what was wrong with I'm it tired of these romps. I am tired of There was one word bubble that I posted that sums it all up. I'm going to read this word bubble. And if you're interested, you're interested. And if you're not, you're going to go, Fuck all that. I'll wait for something new. Xavier has a plan to talk to Moira in her 10th life before her powers manifested, but we need the exact date, time, and location that happened. Oh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you. That sounds like a you problem, guys. It's not set up enough at all. There's exactly two of these characters that I care about, and, and I guarantee at least three of them are going to die. They're going to kill them in this. Because we've got to have some kind, something has to happen. Nothing else is going to happen. It's completely tertiary, Joe. You don't have to read this. You can just read the other books. They're going to tell you exactly what the plan was, and they'll mention, "Oh yeah, remember when they uh did the thing in Dead X Men and they got you?" It's like the Boffins finding the plans to the goddamn you know Death Star or yeah, whatever. Yeah, many Boffins died. Yeah, all that's right. all you had to say. And I go, many "Okay, the- great." Many X Men died to
1: bring us this. Do a I want
0: to see the story of the Boffins? No, I bet it sucks. This sucked, Joe. <laughs> I did not think. This was fun. Okay. I thought it's pointless. But- I don't think the art was good either. I thought the art, these are all good artists who no, the art was fine. are not looking good here. It's kind of like fuzzy and out of focus in some shots. The shading is really weird. Some of the coloring is weird. And I, there's already so many X Men and and, and mutants on Mars and stuff. And I don't need them jumping through time, giving me alternate reality, different, even weirder X Men that I can't. No, I'm done. I don't care. I did not care about this. It was not fun. I, I'm going to give it a very low skim it because, sure, it's a romp and the story sort of made sense, I guess. Look, but stick to your guns. I if don't you don't like care. it, give it a leave it. Yeah, I mean, like, you're I'll not allowed okay. to give it a leave it. You know it. what? Leave it. It's a number one that isn't set up well, that is taking part in the middle of an event within an event that's not
1: going to matter. Leave it. I mean, and that's why it's a skimmet it for me, because you might have a good time r- with the journey, even if the destination doesn't really pay the much. The only thing I
0: care time. about is Cannonball and Dazzler are back. Thank you. Like those characters.
1: Mm. Um, but you know that there was those people, there were those people out there that, we're all complaining about Rogue One because Rogue One didn't address the fucking Boffins. Oh, whatever. I'm just saying, like, still. The, hey, this is the story
0: about the Boffins. Sure, it's still the best of the recent Star saying, Wars movies I'm without the saying, goddamn like, Boffins.
1: <laughs> it's a part of the puzzle. Whatever. You can find links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the best comic we read from this pile to add to the THN permanent collection. Matt, which comic are you putting in the fancy archival Mylar bag for storage? It's not hard for me at all.
0: I'm going with detective comics because I think what Ramsey is doing on that book is incredible. And this kid is a continuation of what he's doing. Yes. That book is incredible though. And he's telling an amazing Batman story and it's Beautiful. All three parts of it. Beautiful. Everybody that worked on it did an amazing job. I loved it. It's easily
1: gets my win this one this week. I can't I can't do that because it's just so impenetrable. But um, um I will give it to I like the resurrection of Magneto. <laughs> well, I'm not giving it to that in either, am I? No. no. <laughs> I'm giving it to Duke number two with the assumption that Duke Number One is also in there because I'm having so much fun with the revival of these fictional universes. Uh, Like, look, I had some things to say about Cobra Commander. You can go to our website, twitternerd.com, and read about them. I loved it. Uh,
0: I totally disagree with you. I loved it.
1: No, no, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I'm saying I don't know about this. I, I Like, this is very controversial, and I don't know about this. I don't think this is controversial as you think I th- Go back and watch G.I. Joe, the movie. Buddy. I think that the majority <laughs> of G.I. Joe fans hate Cobra Law. I'm not and saying if they you think don't. I'm wrong-
0: get on the internet. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying it's firmly part of that, dude. <laughs> like, um, it's in you there. You know,
1: there's a lot of things that are firmly a part of a lot of things, but we don't always sure. address them in our reboots. Hey, make it awesome. Hey, and I'm, I'm giving it to Duke number two because the Ener- like for me, the Energon universe is firing on all cylinders. I even really like Void Rivals. I've, d- I've said it in the past. I know that not everybody th- It's certainly like the least buzzworthy of it's, all the titles, it's but I think, it's down. <laughs> I think it's fun. I think it's fun. And, uh, yeah, this, it's absolutely Duke. Duke was a slam dunk for me.
0: It's time to head on up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we can slip out of our review unitards and into our prognostication robes to make our must-read picks. For next new comic day, February 7th, we have got quite a pile Coming off the comic barges next week, Joe The Power Rangers go full kingdom come In the pages of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers The Return, number one Guy Gardner finally gets that rom-com book You've been waiting for In DC's How to Lose a Guy Gardner In 10 Days, number one What? Not to be outdone Godzilla gets a Valentine's Day special at IDW Chris Claremont takes Wolvie back to Madripoor, Sand's Eye Patch, and I couldn't care less, and it wouldn't be New Comics Day without I Can Read Comics Level 2 Friend Bots Blink and Block Build
1: a Fort, the soft cover. Joe Patrick. So are true. Any of these books your must-read pick of the week. Uh well, just based on title alone, I feel like I should give it to How to Lose a Guy Gardner in 10 Days, but I didn't <laughs> even know that that book was coming out. It's a thing. Uh, I guess I missed it on the shipping list. Uh, when I picked instead, Thundercats number one from Dynamite. It's written by Declan Shalvey with art by Drew Moss, cover by David Nakayama. It's thirty-two pages for four ninety-nine. And here is your solicit. Fleeing through space to escape their dying homeworld, the Thundercats were attacked en route by their mortal enemies, the mutants of Plundar. After diverting their damaged flagship to a planet called Third Earth. The surviving Thundercats now strive to rebuild their society in harmony with the new world's natives. But the mutants, determined to possess the Thundercats' mystical gem, the Eye of Thundera, have tracked them down. And they've also forged an alliance with Mumra, the devil priest of Third Earth. Now, the Thundercats, led by an inexperienced Lion O, must band together as never before to protect their legacy from this combined enemy but will they be able to withstand the onslaught of Mamra the Ever-Living once he sets his sights upon them? The triple threat talents, writers, artists, and Thundercats superfans of Declan Shalvi and Drew Moss join forces to bring this exciting new entry in the Thundercats canon to life. The premiere issue features 24 story pages as well as a host of the finest cover artists the galaxy has ever seen, including Shalvi, David Nakayama, Lucio Perillo, Jay Lee, June Chung, and Ivan Tao. That
0: seems, that can't be all of them because there's, you know there's no, 45 covers. No, it's not covers. all of them. <laughs> it's
1: include, uh, when you say including, you can get away with just li- naming right. a handful. Right, The famous ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, that was the entire backstory of the Thundercats in that solicit. It's all there. Um, Although they I, don't you know explain what? this third earth bullshit. Is it the third time we've tried earth? Are there three earths? <laughs> like, what are we doing? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> or is it the third earth? Like it's set far, far in the future and humans have like outlived the earth twice. I don't already? know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I love the Thundercats. I love them a lot. Declan Shalvey is a fave around here. He's great. Um, he's He's been doing a good job as a writer these days. And I love Drew Moss. The cover looks great. It's Thundercats I mean, time. He-Man's on Netflix. Thundercats G- ho, G- baby. G.I. Joe and Transformers that- are the most popular thing ever. You know, like, come on, it's time. I just hope that it's adding to the to the Thundercats lore instead of just like rehashing the Thundercats lore. I want them to add something new like the sure. Energon universe is doing.
0: Well, I don't think we need to worry a whole lot about the deep continuity of the Thundercats, Kirk. Hey, whatever. Are you going to be upset if the Robert Burbles don't show up? What? Where are you going <laughs> if with this? Superman doesn't show up to cut
1: li- to beg Lino to cut his head off with his en- enchanted sword. No one knows that inside joke. You understand that, right? <laughs> Matt, I have repeated that
0: inside joke on this show multiple times. I understand times. that we have seven hundred episodes, Joe. It's a deep cut for sure. It's a deep cut for sure. My pick for next week is the one hand number one from the Image. It's thirty two pages, four ninety nine. It's written by Ram V. Love that guy. Art by Lawrence Campbell. Here's your solicit. Neo-Novena detective Ari Nassar is about to retire with an enviable record until a brutal murder occurs bearing all the hallmarks of the one-hand killer, which should be impossible since Ari put him away. Not once, but twice in the years before. What follows is a deadly cat and mouse game. As Ari pursues his quarry down the rain-soaked streets of Neo-Novena, Ari will stop at nothing to unravel the secrets and ciphers of this case, but each revelation only leads further down into the dark heart of his future metropolis and Ari's own beleaguered soul. Grippingly written by award-winning writer Ram V, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr. He also worked on Swamp Thing. That's not in all caps. With hauntingly... rare, Rare flavors with hauntingly atmospheric art and covers by Lawrence Campbell, who worked on Old Haunts, BPRD, which is in all caps because it's just, you know, BPRD, (laughs) hell on earth. Because it's an acronym, right? Right. And Lee Loffridge, who worked on Deadly Class, The One Hand is a miniseries that will keep you guessing until the very end. I love Ram V, and he's perfect to write this crime noir stuff. The art looks fantastic. Lee Loffridge is an excellent colorist. Love it. Ram V, doing a great job on Batman, but don't be afraid to step out and write your own stuff too. Kicks ass.
1: The THN trade for next week is, and it couldn't be anything but, the Peacemaker Tries Hard Hard hardcover from DC slash Black Label. Written by Kyle Starks with art by Steve Pugh. It's 168 pages for $24.99. Here is your solicit. Christopher Smith isn't very good at being a superhero, but Peacemaker Tries Hard. And quote, extremely ages 17 plus, (laughs) end quote, book from writer Kyle Starks and artist Steve Pugh puts Peacemaker on a quest to save his beloved dog, parentheses Bruce Wayne, from a supervillain who has some nefarious plans for Christopher Smith's skill set. After being released from the Suicide Squad, Peacemaker wants to try and do normal superhero stuff for a change, however... When busting up a terrorist ring introduces Smith to the cutest dog he's ever seen, he finds the unconditional love he's been denied his whole life. That is, until the dog is kidnapped right out from under him by a supervillain who has some very unsuperheroic plans for Peacemaker's brand of ultraviolence. Will he help an infamously unstable superpowered criminal steal the world's most valuable and dangerous DNA?
0: Yeah, spoiler, yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, kind he, of. He does. He no uh, yeah. yeah. He tries really to hard to do it too. <laughs> oh, that's right. Cause I forgot for a second there. I forgot how the book ends, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, he does.
0: So <laughs> <No>, this <laughs> was, this was on both of our best of lists. Yeah. yeah last uh, year. And it, it's just fantastic. It's Kyle
1: Stark. This is man. a no brainer. This got my bevel for best limited series of the year. Yeah. And, uh, Peacemaker Tries Hard, probably the best 25 bucks you'll spend on a comic this month. Like, 100%.
0: If you're childless shitheads like us that love their dogs more than kids, then you're probably picking up Peacemaker Tries Hard next week. But we want to know what else you are reading. Let us know over at our Discord. We've got a new comics talk. We do it every Wednesday up the whole comic list. We talk smack. We talk about covers we like. We talk about stuff you should be reading. It's super rad. And be sure to put these comics on your pull list if you want to read along with us, because we're going to review them.
1: Before we add this episode to a stack of other old episodes and then mark the whole pile at a deep discount, it's time for a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra. You can get access to the Patreon Extra when you support THN for as little as $1 per month. Welcome to
0: another exciting THN Extra that you probably paid for. If you didn't, you're just getting a few minutes of it. And uh, you know what? You're not as cool as the cool kids are paying for stuff.
1: But Not true. You're all cool,
0: equally cool in our eyes. Don't listen to this nerd. Who knows what he's even talking about. Today, when we run out of ideas for extra segments, we dig into the Discord and have to play Hot Takes. Where we look at your hot take in our hot take section of the Discord. And we're going to rate them. Are they hot? Are they not? And we're going to discuss them, too. We're going to lead off here. This going to be a little X heavy in the front end. There's been a lot of X talk on the Discord. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for obvious reasons, the X Men are. And hey,
1: n- no worries there. That's no, fine. We love the we love
0: the X talk. We start with our Harvey Locust. He's sort of our resident grumpy old man, but we love him. Harvey comes in with a hot take. The '97 X Men cartoon sucked, and the revival looks just as bad. Is this hot or not? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a hot take. I think it's a relatively hot take. One. Because I think there's, there's so much love for this cartoon out there. It's beloved, yes. Which, we'll get into that in a second here. And Marvel is bringing it back, and they're bringing it back for a reason. And I don't think it's just because there's been a bunch of memes of Wolverine looking sad at a picture out there. Somebody wants this.
1: No, part. I mean, there's nostalgia for it.
0: Yeah. Is it any good? No. That cartoon sucked. That cartoon's terrible. I don't
1: agree. I, it is like terrible joke. Is it? It's certainly not that bad. When was the last time you revisited it? I, look, man, a lot of the cartoons from our youth are terrible.
0: Like the, I don't disagree. That's not a. But I'm not I, saying I think, like high art or not. There are good cartoons from 1997. Are they cartoons? Were they for kids? Sure. The X Men cartoon, dude. I revisit this thing while I'm editing shows to find snippets and stuff to go in between. It's so bad. It's so bad.
1: (laughs) I think that I personally, I think that on the scale of quality cartoons from, uh, from our youth. Like, obviously, things at the top are, you know, Batman, the animated series. Yeah, because
0: the animation was great. The storytelling was great. Yeah. The, the theme song uh, was great. X-Men is
1: certainly nowhere near the bottom. Like, there are far, far worse I agree. Not, I'm nerd not saying- cartoons. So, do do I think that the X-Men cartoon is great? It's not great. Do I think it's fun? Yeah. Oh. Do I do I admire them for taking big swings, trying to adapt these like insane Claremont storylines? Yeah, like I think they get they get points. They get points for trying, and I think that there's a lot of charm to it. And like I understand why some people have grown up and decided that it's bad, but no, I don't think it sucks. I think it's I just- think it's a product of its time, and I think that um, you know, as as a kid in 1990. 1990- I, it didn't, certainly didn't start in 1997.
0: No, it ended in 97, I think. And that's yeah, okay. why they're calling it X-Men 97.
1: So when did it start? Like 1992, 3? Let's look. Something like that?
0: Let's look. I mean, it would have been hot off the heels of the Spider-Man cartoon, so probably. No, Spider-Man
1: came second.
0: Did it really? Yes. And that Spider-Man cartoon sucked, too. It was bad.
1: <laughs> same, <laughs> uh, like, same exact justification for the Spider-Man.
0: Uh, looks like 1992 to 1997.
1: Yeah, so in 1992, I was 14, and I was all about it. Like, I thought it was awesome. So, yeah, no, I think the X-Men cartoon was a success, and I think that judging it from an adult perspective isn't really, like, it doesn't really, it's not really kosher to me, because it's, that's not what they're for. It wasn't made for a guy like me. It was made for a kid like I was. I don't and, disagree,
0: yeah. but we can so. go back and we can watch something like Batman the Animated Series and go, this was made for a kid when I was that age. And it's still amazing. I'm not amazing, saying that amazing, things don't, you know? <laughs>
1: I'm not saying that there aren't things that transcend, but I, I don't think that X-Men 97 sucks We can both
0: but. agree that it was no Donald's quack attack though.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely not.
0: Yeah. It's certainly not a, uh, Fievel's American Tales. There was a Fish Police cartoon in 1992. Did you know that? I
1: did know that. There was a Fish uh, Police There was also a Sam and Max. Uh, not uh, in that same area. Like, there was a lot of weird cartoons based on comics.
0: So, if that, you want to uh, watch a good X-Men cartoon, there was a one shot they did called X-Men, or Pride of the X-Men. Uh, let's not go so far as to call it good. It's okay. awesome. That, that cartoon... Kicks ass. Excelsior! <laughs> that is it for THN 728. If you dig these new comic reviews, check out our YouTube channel where you can stare at our logo while watching, or you can also subscribe to each show separately. We got there a back issue show. There other banners. Yeah, There's some banners on there. We got a back issue show. We got a gang hang. Or you can listen to them as podcasts on YouTube Music. It's the next big thing, I'm told. Next week, the Back Issue Show returns, and the Cosmic Long Box is in the mood for love. So it has us talking about the world's worst boyfriend, Matt Murdock, and the ladies whose lives he's ruined. If you need more THN, in the meantime, join us for the THN Gang Hang on Saturdays at 11 o'clock central. Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, what else can these jerks do on the Discord while they're there?
1: You can get in on the action before we even air the show with our episode discussion threads, talk about the highs and lows of this year's Royal Rumble, and debate the proper pronunciation of the and Thor. I feel like we get further away from it every time we say it out loud. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Or maybe you just want to answer the question of the week. This week's question in honor of the... Underwhelming reveal of Doctor Hate's true identity in Titans Beast World Number Five. What supposedly "quote unquote" huge nerdy revelation fell completely flat for you? Let me tell you, there are already some humdingers in that uh, discussion. I, I think it's got to be a cosmic. Of the
0: week. We got to do a cosmic long box based on. This.
1: I don't know, man. Oh. I don't know. I man. love it.
0: I Underwhelming uh, reveals. I love it. By the way, Hugo Tavertic called this one
1: totally. He did. Yeah, this shout one. out to
0: Hugo. That I mean, is crazy.
1: It, DC's having their cake and eating it, too, by making it like a whatever like a whatever of Raven. But, nah. yeah, Hugo nailed it. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can post them in the question of the week suggestions channel. Just post them. And I will flag them, and we will keep them in our bank for future You don't have to usage. tell them how the sausage is made. They get it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, we don't really get a lot of question of the week suggestions these days. You can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord. And once you're allowed in, we have a no-jerks-allowed policy, according to Matt. strict one. When, really, everybody that clicks the link is allowed in. You can post about any of our segments or send an MP3 submission to the Comic Pushers for Ask a Nerd or whatever to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and we'll put you on the ding-dang show. If you're new to the show and you have some problems with
0: our storytelling choices, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN, our digital longbox box archive at twitnerd.com. THN is a listener support podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron, Jim Stafford. Who just doubled his monthly contribution Regardless of the fact That all we do is make fun of Brits
1: Whenever we come up, We love them, we just can't stop ribbing them Sometimes you know? we make fun of people <laughs> for being British Even when they're from New Zealand That's true Apologies to Roger Lang.
0: That's racist If you like what you hear every week It's easy to support the show You can sign up to be a patron And support this racism At patreon.com backslash 2 nerd.
1: Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to birthday buddies Jonathan Sims, aka Skellinot, a fantastic artist and the creator of the Floating Bunnyhead comic series, and Lord Stephen Fino, the THN Master of Coin. I hope that wasn't supposed to be a secret because up until now, every mention of his birthday has been redacted. Oh. Our longtime pals are both celebrating another trip around the sun as we record this today, Wednesday. Word do you two gents, don't do anything I wouldn't do while you're at it. Don't do anything that bomb would do. I don't even celebrate my birthday. I don't have a belly button or a mom. Like, I
0: was like an idea that sprung to life. So. I, think you guys, I think you're making my point for me. Yeah. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might only speak to you in uni-speak. And let me tell you, kind of sounds like that horse has a head injury. All right? This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. Ah!